A long time ago, in 1891, 1891, anyone around then? No. 1891, Wesleyan missionaries, some of the first Wesleyan missionaries to be sent out from North America, from the US, went to Sierra Leone in West Africa. They found themselves in Sierra Leone and they discovered there was already some missionaries present in the kind of more civilized coastal cities and so they felt compelled by God to push further inland and so they did. They went inland further into but they realized quickly that they weren't prepared fully for the primitive conditions that they would find there. They weren't prepared for the African climate or the tropical diseases and so in the first 10 years, six of those initial pioneer ministers died and they remain to this day buried in Kunso Cemetery in Sierra Leone. Shortly after that, three of those initial missionaries returned to the US and died soon thereafter. But the Wesleyans continued to send more and more and more into Sierra Leone to establish a ministry in Sierra Leone. And, and this happened over and over and over again, wave after wave after wave. And my father-in-law, uh, Dennis Jackson, has visited Kunso Cemetery in Sierra Leone. And it's one of his favorite places. He says it's one of the most impacting and moving places to go to. And the reason being this, he says, when you walk around Kunso Cemetery, you see on the tombstones the names of these men and women who were compelled by the cause of Christ and willing to pay the price with their very lives for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others, that others might know the gospel, others might know the truth of who Jesus is. And they went and so they paid with the ultimate price with their lives. He says the most, the most uh, kind of startling thing about that is as you walk around and you do the maths. When you, you know tombstones where they put the, the birth date year and then the, the death year on the tombstones and you run the sums and you start to realize, because oftentimes we think missionaries, oh, that's, that's those who have, you know, kind of built a career and raised a family and then they kind of ship off in later in life and spend the second half of their lives, you know, serving God overseas. No, 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 that's not the case at all in Kunso Cemetery. When you run the numbers between the birth date and death date, you realize they're mostly young adults in their late 20s and early 30s. Men and women who gave their all for the sake of Christ and for the sake of making the gospel known. And their, 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 their sacrifice was not in vain. Today, throughout Sierra Leone, there are, the, the Wesleyan ministry is tremendous. They've got a number of schools set up. One is a boarding school helping to care holistically for all you know, all of, a, of, of young people. There's a, there's a Bible college that's been established. There's a hospital. There's a couple of different medical clinics. There's churches and mission stations scattered throughout the country that have been planted and led. They've even got a conference center that's revenue generating and helping to support pastors in training for ministry up in the northern parts of Sierra Leone. And here's the, here's the coolest part is there is no longer a permanent missionary presence in Sierra Leone. It's all led by nationals who have been raised up, Sierra Leoneans who are gifted and called and been trained and sent into the mission field. Praise God. Amazing, isn't it? Wonderful story. Started a long time ago, but God is good. Built on the sacrifice of young people, willing to give their all. And so today... We dive back into our cruciformity teaching series, our sermon series that we've been in for Lent, this period of time where we are 
awaiting and preparing ourselves for Easter, the, center, the, center, the central event of our faith, Jesus' death and resurrection. And we prepare ourselves in Lent as a, over a 40-day period of time preparing for it. And so Cruciformity has been our teaching series where we've been looking, we started in John's Gospel and then we've been working through a couple of different texts in Luke's Gospel where we've been paying attention to what it means for us to live our lives in a cruciform way. What does it mean to be cruciformed? It means being conformed to the crucified Christ. It's all about being conformed to the crucified Christ. That's what it's about, a willingness to embrace surrender and sacrifice and follow the way of Christ, the cross to resurrection, death to life. This is the cruciform way. And so we've seen, if you think back throughout the series, a couple of weeks ago, David brought a great message around how our identities might be formed in cruciform ways, looking at Jesus and his temptations in the wilderness. Last week, Sarah Scott Webb brought a wonderful message around our vocation as followers of Jesus is first and foremost one of a witness. We might have different occupations. We might be doctors and we might be plumbers and we might be teachers and we might be Whatever you do, for, you know, you might, but your pr- primary calling as a follower of Jesus is first and foremost into a vocation of witness. And that's a cruciform way. That's a cruciform vocation. This is the way of Jesus. And today we look at cruciform discipleship. What does it mean to actually follow the way of Jesus in our own formation of becoming increasingly like Him? This is really part one. Next week, my good friend Aaron Hardy will be here with us as a guest speaker, bringing kind of part two around cruciform discipleship. So I encourage you to come along next week. Uh, Aaron will bring a great message, I'm sure. But today, we look at cruciform discipleship. What does it mean for us to follow truly in the way of Jesus? And and we're going to dive in in Luke chapter 9. I encourage you to open your Bibles. This will, be a, this will be a teaching that you'll want to have the Scriptures open in front of you. So open your Bibles or your Bible app, click on to uh, Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to di- jump down and look at another passage about halfway through Luke chapter 9. Let's read in Luke chapter 9. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Skip down, we'll jump into verse 21, right before verse 21, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? They say, some say Elijah, John the Baptist, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. Jesus, in verse 21, strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death 
before they see the kingdom of God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to Come on, with enthusiasm, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. And may God bless his word to us today, we pray. Uh, so let's just kind of dive back to the beginning. We'll step our way through this text and kind of teach and unpack it a wee bit in, in our way of understanding what does it mean for us to truly follow in the way of Jesus, to embrace a cruciform way of formation, a cruciform discipleship. Verse 1, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, who are the 12? They're the 12 disciples that have been following Him around. He gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases and to send them, and He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Man, this sounds exciting, right? Think about the disciples. They must have been loving this moment, right? I mean, they, they've been kind of following Jesus around. They've been witnessing Him do all kinds of things. They've been witnessing Him do these things, proclaiming the good news and healing the sick. They've seen Him deliver demons. They've witnessed all of this. And now, Jesus says, it's your turn, friends. You ready for this? And, and so we see a couple of important points that we need to notice right out of the gate. Number, in, 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 in verse 1, notice... The disciples must have been pretty frothed because they, they get power and authority, right? But it's derived power and authority. It's not their own power and authority, right? It's given to them by Jesus. Important point, right? So and, and I don't know if you one who marks up your Bible. I mark up my Bible. And, and like, like, I don't underline power and authority. I underlined gave them. Jesus gave them power. Because I need, I need the regular reminder that any power and authority for ministry is derivative. It's given. It's from someone else. It's not of my own making. All right? And then Jesus sent them. So he gives them power and authority, and then Jesus sends them in his power and authority, in his name, to go and do what he does. And this is amazing. You, you know, I love, that, I love that Jesus is concerned too, not just with like proclaiming the good news, but also with healing the sick, also with delivering those possessed. You know, he's, he's concerned with the whole person. Jesus, Jesus is concerned with the whole person. I think a lot of times in Christian circles, we major on one and minor on the other, where we get, we get all worked up and excited about, and we, go, we, we work hard on the healing of the sick, and we, we, we establish hospitals, and we run medical clinics, and we do all of these things to try and help heal the sick, right? And we, and we provide for the poor, and we do all these kind of initiatives. And Jesus says, but you also need to proclaim the gospel. Or maybe, maybe we go purely and we overemphasize the proclaiming of the gospel and the, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, like naming and caring for people's spiritual condition to the detriment and forgetting about their physical. Jesus holds them all together. He's concerned with the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. He, he's concerned about all of them. And then in verse 3, he says, he, so, so you've got to imagine the disciples are pretty pumped, right? Like they get to go and do the Jesus stuff. They get to go and do what Jesus has been uh, telling them to go do. And then he tells them, oh, by the way, take nothing for the journey. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Wait a second. I don't know about you, but that's not typically how I take a journey on how I take a trip. That's not usually how 
I prepare. In fact, I got a little taste of this just a couple of weeks ago when I, I had a quick a, a two-day trip to Auckland uh, for, my, for my work with Laidlaw, and, and I forgot my wallet, and I was on one of those stupid early flights, you know, so you're getting there just in time to board in the morning, you know what I mean? You don't waste around, so there was no time to run home and get it, and only in New Zealand can you board a plane without showing an ID, right? So, um, so I managed to still go on the trip, but I went without my wallet, and some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 but you got Apple Pay on your phone. I'm like, no, 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 because our bank, Kiwi Bank, doesn't support it. So, um, so I, honestly, it was the, one of the most vulnerable and exposed positions to be in for a couple of days away from home with no way to access funds. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was like, I've, you know, so fortunately I have good, uh, some good colleagues who hooked a brother up and uh, looked after me, but I was reliant on them. I was dependent on them, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this feels really exposed and really vulnerable. I kind of related a little bit. But, th- but imagine this, like, I still had... I still had access to food, I still had an extra shirt, I had a bag with me. I don't usually carry a staff, so let's just leave that one out, but it's not your typical way to take a trip, isn't it? But right from the get-go, Jesus is saying, yes, I'm going to give you power and authority, yes, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to send you in my way that looks different to any other way you've gone before. I'm going to send you in a way that is reliant on you trusting me completely trusting me to provide, trusting me to empower, trusting me to enable, trusting me to show you the way. Right from the outset, Jesus shows the way. In verse 4, it says, Wherever, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Why does he give that instruction? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I can just imagine probably there would have been the temptation if they were staying in a certain place long enough and people kind of liked them, there might have been the opportunity to get an upgrade to a nicer house. You know, someone else would have said, oh, why don't you come stay with us? Our place is a little... No, 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 just be content where you're at. Trust that I'm going to provide. This is the way of Jesus. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This was a common cultural practice, the shaking of dust, and Jesus is basically saying, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. If people are unprepared or unwilling or unready to hear and receive your ministry, then that's okay. Just move on. Don't waste your time. Carry on, he says. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They did it. They actually did. They went in the power and in the commissioning, the sentness of Jesus, and they did it. They proclaimed the message from place to place, they healed the sick, they delivered those who were possessed and, 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 and uh, corrupted by demons and healing people everywhere. They did it. They went in this power and authority. They trusted and God showed up and provided for them all the way through. Amazing, right? Following this, this is why I was saying it was, it's important to have your Bibles open because if you, if you fl- continue like skimming your eyes down as we go through the rest of uh, Luke chapter 9, soon after this we see Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's a whole bunch of people who gather around on this hillside and Jesus feeds, miraculously provides 5,000 men plus all the women and children. So, you know, like estimates around, you know, like lots of people there, right? And then he retreats with the disciples away and has this private conversation where he says, who do the people say that I am? And he says, some say Elijah, some say Moses, some say John the Baptist. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Kings. You're the one we've been waiting for, right? 
And then Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, in the context of it all, this is like one of those, like, record scratches with the DJ, like a... Like, it kind of comes to a stop, right? You think about it, like, the disciples have been on this journey with Jesus, where they've witnessed Him proclaiming the good news and multitudes responding and coming to faith in Him. They've witnessed Him healing the sick and miraculously, they're made well. He's witnessed them delivering the demon-possessed and people are set free from those things that were holding them captive. He's witnessed them, you know, on and on. And then He says, hey, I'm going to give you the same power and authority. You get to now go out and do this. You know, and so they do. They go out and do the same things, proclaiming the good news and people responding, healing the sick and miraculously people are made well, delivering. You, you get the point, right? You can imagine, like, like, like I'm a musician, right? The band's in the pocket, the groove's well established. You know what I'm saying? They're like, kind of like, they're vibing at this point. They're like, yeah, this is going well. You're the Messiah, Jesus, right? You're the Messiah. Things are going really well. You know, and, and what's, what's anticipated by the Messiah in the eyes and the expectations of any good Jewish person? That the Messiah will overthrow the Roman oppressors and establish his rightful kingdom. He's going to come in power, and look, he's already setting it up. Like the groove's well established. Jesus is doing his thing. He is the Messiah. He is the one we've been waiting for. And then he says, No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Don't tell anyone about this because I'm going to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and raised alive wait for this. The Messiah, I am the Messiah. I am establishing my kingdom, but it's being established in a very different way than what you'd expect. It's one of those kind of moments, right? You can imagine it, and they're like, oh, hang on a second, what does he mean by that? He's like, man, what is going on? Here's the thing that, like in verse 22 there, that we need to just really sit with, really meditate on, is that Jesus models he doesn't just he doesn't just invite us into the cruciform way he models for us the cruciform way jesus doesn't just talk about it he does it he actually lives it out he has done this right he has shown the way he's set the example he's not inviting us to follow or do anything he has not already done friends the good news in that the implication of that is that jesus understands And He has the power and the authority to strengthen you, to journey with you in and through even death itself. This is how His kingdom comes in the world. This is how His kingdom comes in your life and in mine. And that's why He goes on and lays out the pattern in verse 23. This is perhaps the best definition or pattern of what it means to be a cruciform disciple, one whose life is conformed to the crucified Christ. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. This is the way 
of discipleship in the, in, in the kingdom of God. This is the cruciform life. Now, I think like the disciples, we often get in this groove, don't we, in our own lives, where we have these expectations around what it means to be a good person. We get in the groove where we have these expectations that kind of chart out the trajectory of our life. And we, we have this life script and some, for some of us it might be really kind of conscious and intentional and we're following it and for others maybe it's less conscious but it's still there because it's been shaped and honed and drilled into us over many years. We are well formed in the ways of this world, friends. We are well formed in a certain way. And so whatever it might take, uh, take, take shape as, you know, it's, it's obviously around you grow up and you want to be healthy and you want to be strong and, and, and you want to have a good education, right? And you want to get that education and you want to go into a career that serves you well and provides well for you, but also is one that you enjoy, right? And you want to be good at it. And so you want to keep going after these things. And then you want to have a certain kind of family and you want to have a certain kind of job and then you want to have certain kind of friends. You, you, you fill in the blank, right? And then that'll allow you to have a certain kind of house that will lead to certain kind of vacations and certain right you kind of like play out this life script and we all just kind of live according to it and do the things that we need to do in order to be conformed to that certain way of success and expectation whether ourselves or imposed on us by certain other people or imposed on us by the values of our culture dare I say you see it and we even we even maybe in following Jesus can do this to a certain extent where, you know, we, and, and we kind of baptize some of our following of Jesus into this kind of language, don't we? Where we talk about the cross we need to bear, you know, certain stage of life or, you know, maybe a certain job, you know, and you're in a current, current context where you, 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 your particular boss is such a, it's just the burden I have to bear, it's the cross I have to carry. Well, you're a parent of really young children and sleepless nights and, you know, non-ending energy during the days and you just, it's the cross I have to bear. You know what I mean? Or it's the house that you live in that you're not happy with but you can't afford in to get into it and it's the cross I have to bear. Right? We kind of talk about these things in this kind of a way, right? But they're shaped more by following a certain way of the world, I think, than they are shaped following the way of Jesus. And so instead, Jesus says the place to start in the cruciform way is to deny self. And I think oftentimes we overlook that as followers of Jesus. Oftentimes we skip over that bit and we'll talk more about the cross we have to bear and the ways and what, what, what we're doing to follow Jesus and doing our best to follow Jesus and trying to follow, you know, follow Jesus, carrying the cross that we need. And I think, no, 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 no. We need to deny self first. And really, this is what's at the heart of the Lenten journey. And this is why many of us have engaged in practices to, of self-denial during Lent, practices of fasting, of, of going without things that we enjoy. It's a way of aligning our efforts with this cruciform way that we might be formed a little bit more in the likeness of Jesus. This is what it means to follow the cruciform way, that we would deny self, die to self. We've got to start there. And as I was reflecting on this image of, you know, when it, when it, when it talks about like carrying the cross, um, uh, you know, like carrying our cross daily, it's the image of literally Jesus carrying the cross 
to Golgotha. And when Romans crucified people, they wouldn't carry like the whole cross, like the, 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 the whole thing. It was only the cross beam, the horizontal one, would be strapped across their arms and shoulders when they would carry the cross. And they would carry it out to the place that they were hoisted up then to die. And so as I was reflecting on it this, this week, the image that came to mind for me was the invitation of Jesus, actually. That this is... While it's an instrument of death, it's also the cruciform way, it's also the instrument to life. And so in another passage, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know what a yoke is, right? It's that wooden thing that straps between two oxen over their shoulders to keep them together. It's an invitation for each of us to carry our cross daily, to sink in beside Jesus and allow His way of life to shape ours, for His pace of life to shape ours. That It's still going to be a burden at times. You're still going to feel the weight at times. It's still going to feel like bearing you know, the cross at times. But you'll do it in Jesus' way as you follow Him, as you're yoked to Him. You get it? Just like an older, wise ox is yoked to a younger, less wise and immature ox with a yoke. It's so that the younger ox, like you and I, as we're yoked to Jesus, we might learn His pace. We might learn His rhythms. We might learn when it's time to bear and grind through because you've hit some extra hard-packed soil or, or you go, you're tracking uphill and you've got to grunt and, and push a little bit harder and it's going to require a little more exertion. But He'll also pace you in times of when it's time to ease up and to rest and to relax in and with Him. This is the cruciform way. Deny ourselves. See, I'm afraid that oftentimes we follow a different pattern in our world. Rather than denying ourselves, we're more interested in promoting ourselves. Oh, no, 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 we're Kiwis. We don't promote ourselves, eh? We don't do that around here. We, um, but maybe we defend ourselves, protect ourselves. Jesus says, deny yourself. You want to be empowered with my authority and my power and sent by me? Take nothing. Trust wholly in me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he gives, he gives the why. He gives us the sense of urgency. Why does this really matter? In verse 24 and 25, he unpacks it for us. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? Other translations say, yet lose or forfeit their, their soul or the truest part of who you are. That's what he's talking about here. That this is actually, Jesus says, this is why this matters. Because you can follow all other kinds of ways and they may gain you certain rights and privileges and successes and status and popularity and achievement in this world. You may gain a whole bunch of things in this world, but in the end, you may forfeit your very soul, your truest self. And the issue is this is a warning. This is, this is the why it matters that we be denying ourselves taking up our cross daily and following after Jesus. Verse 26, he says, 
Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus and His words? I can't help but think that for us, maybe the point of shame is, is that fear of people's reactions and responses. That maybe it has a lot to do with what Jesus had already talked about in verse 22, where He says, I will be rejected. And by the way, when it actually plays out in the end of the Gospels, we know he wasn't just rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He was rejected by a bunch of other people as well who were around the place, right? And maybe for you and I, when we stand by Jesus and His way and His words, when He says, I am the way, the truth and the life, anyone who follows me will find this is true, right? Like if we stand by that, it's incredibly good news because that's good news for everyone. That's not just some exclusive claim that's only just for a select few. That's, that's good news for everyone. And if we stand by that, then some people will find that a little distasteful. No, no, no. They're just going to find that flat out offensive. And you may experience some rejection and you may find yourself ashamed of Jesus. You see how it plays? Right? I mean, this, this, is, this is kind of like, here's the truth is, I think the good news here is that Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be rejected. Jesus knows that His way is countercultural. It was when He lived, and it has always been for His followers. It's always been this countercultural way of following Jesus, and yet that's the way we are to be conformed to too easily for us to allow cultural sensitivities to get in the way. And if we defer to our cultural sensitivities over the person of Jesus and His words, then we may gain the whole world and a bunch of friends, but lose our very souls, the truest part of us. It's a stark warning, isn't it? It's a challenge. Verse 27, He says, Truly I tell you, and I'm so glad this verse is here, by the way, because it's a pretty, pretty strong, stark challenge up until this point, right? We get a breath at this point. This is the reassurance. This is the encouragement coming. He says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So I love that He's, he's, he's you know, the, the challenge is strong, and He doesn't relieve the pressure on that. He still says, You're going to taste death, Right? Not only are you going to experience rejection and people kind of like countercultural ways, hard way, you know, like this, you're going to have to carry your cross, you're going to have to deny yourself, all that kind of stuff. And you will still taste death, but you'll get to see the kingdom of God. You'll get to see the kingdom of God coming. And think about it, if you scan, just, just like the next thing that happens in Luke chapter 9, Peter, James, and John get to witness the transfiguration. That sounds like the kingdom coming. You fast forward, they, they all witness Jesus' death and resurrection, empty tomb. They witness the resurrected Lord showing up in their midst from time to time, you know, over a period of 50 days before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on them and they were empowered. They saw the kingdom of God coming. They then were empowered, it says in Acts 1.8, with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so they went around and they would proclaim the good news and saw thousands of people come to faith in Jesus' name. They saw miraculous healings as they were going into the temple and they prayed for the man who, you know, like the crippled man and he stood up and praised God 
They saw people who were possessed by demons delivered and set free, not through their own power and authority, but through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit at work in and through them. They saw um, visions. You remember Peter had the, 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 the cloth dropped down out of heaven with all the different animals and God's plan to reach everyone, Jews and Gentiles, and then they got to witness the spread and the growth of the early church. Most of them witnessed the beginning signs of Acts 1.8, where he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they got to see this playing out through the, the missions of Peter, and then through Paul, as Paul kind of pushed further and further out into the known world at the time, over and over and over again. Friends, this is the way of Jesus. And we get this beautiful encouragement at the end where Jesus says, you'll get to see the kingdom of God coming. If you're willing to deny yourself, don't. We like to avoid it by protecting ourselves and taking the easy route and oh, avoiding risk, right? Jesus says, no, deny yourself. Take up your cross and we go, oh no, we want to avoid anything that might burn us out, we to cause overexertion. We don't want to avoid, you know, any, anything, you know, we don't want to be overburdened, you know. No, no, no. Embrace it embrace it and rather than following your own plan or wills and desires for your life follow Jesus this is the way the kingdom comes right this is the way God's kingdom is seen and experienced among us this is the way God wants to bring his kingdom in 2023 here in Ototahi in Christ Church is through people like you and I who are willing to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow Him, no matter what it takes. And I know it's not always easy. But Jesus set the example and invites us to follow Him. And so, this week, how do we put this into action? What could we do this week? Let me, let me, let me issue this invitation. Invitations are often challenges in disguise, eh? But invitation this week in following Jesus what is one sacrificial act of love you could do this week what is one thing you could do this week that would cost you requiring you to deny self carry your cross so cost you time money energy effort I, what, what is one sacrificial act of love you could do this week. And if you're already practicing Lent, no excuses. Let me just add this on top of your Lenten practice as well. I think it'll be good for us as we're conformed into the way of Jesus together. Is that all right? I think it's healthy. Um, so don't kind of opt out because you're already given up sugar for Lent or whatever. Let's, uh, let's kind of say, you know, what is one sacrificial act of love you could do this week as we follow in the way of Jesus together? You know, I began this morning by talking about those missionaries, those young people, young adults who counted the cost, began to see the beginnings of the kingdom. Well, they may not have seen much of it. Hospitals and medical centers and churches and all breaking out all over Sierra Leone. Signs of the kingdom coming all over. And I just believe that God is doing the same thing today. I was really encouraged at the recent conference, you know, hearing stories of, um, to this day, young people in our Wesleyan colleges and seminaries in the U.S., the stories where they're forming 
little cohorts of people who are, who are business majors and, and engineers and, 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 and you know, teachers and, and having different occupations, but with a vocational sense of calling to go and be a witness. And so rather than taking a higher paying jo- job back home where it'd be known and safe, they're banding together and moving collectively to a certain city where they can join a church plant team and launch a new church plant in that place. And they'll work as teachers, and they'll work as plumbers, and they'll work as whatever, you know, whatever they're, they're kind of trained in, but they go together as a community. This is happening not just in U.S. cities around the country where church plants are being established like this with young people who are willing to count the cost and go and move to these new places, but also globally, around the world as young people are banding together. And it's not just from the U.S., it's happening in other places where young people are banding together and moving collectively to other nations to go and help form a discipling, faithful community of Jesus in places where there aren't any. And they'll move together and they'll work as teachers and they'll work as nurses and they'll work as whatever their occupation is, but they're there primarily to be witnesses to the truth of who Jesus is, the power of the gospel to change lives and to proclaim the good news, do what Jesus does, right? Do the Jesus stuff, but they get to do all of that and they're doing it in the power and the authority of Jesus, in the sentness of Jesus, not because of their own best plans and efforts and energies. And I just can't get, you know, I just believe God might be wanting to do some similar things with us because the spring is welling up. And if we will commit ourselves and partner with Jesus in the way of Jesus, the cruciform way of Jesus, I believe that while we may taste death someday down the road, we might begin to see some signs, increasing signs of His kingdom coming here and now among us.